people can give you concrete, useful feedback. But we have to teach our clients how to do that because they don't know. They've never done this work often. They're, they're, they're inexperienced and they're scared because they're put on the spot. Hey there, and welcome to yet another episode of the World of Presentations podcast brought to you by us at Presentation Agency 356 Labs. I'm Boris, uh, the founder of the company and your host for this episode. And today we have someone I personally approached and she immediately accepted, which was super kind. <laughs> Who is she? Her name is Donna Spencer and she wrote a book. Actually, she wrote quite some books, uh, but that's the one I found and got uh, called Presenting Design Work. And I have to tell you that one. Yes, it's on presenting design projects but everyone listening please i highly highly recommend it because it has so much valuable advice for presenting that you won't be able to find in most books out there donna welcome to the podcast thanks again for accepting let's start with a few words about you and why as it's written on your linkedin profile someone recently called you the joker <laughs> So first I'll say thank you for having me. Uh, and second, so that was a Brazilian friend of mine. And he said that in Brazil, like calling somebody the joker is uh, a real compliment. And what it means is a person who can kind of fit into anything, can fit into any team and help out and add value. Uh, and I liked that so much because it was such a kind thing to say. And um, and it was true. It is me. I like the thing I enjoy doing and am good at is being able to get into something and like, you know, help out, do things. Uh, I've got a lot of kind of breadth of skill and I really love working with teams just on like all sorting out a problem together. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your expertise because you have like very strong expertise in a few very specific domains, which I believe are, we haven't had anybody on the podcast with that level of expertise. So um, uh, I look, I'm, I'm a practicing designer and a and designer for me because designers can be many things. Um, my, my field of design is, I always call, I always say software design because it works and people understand what software is. You know, when I'm talking to people in my field, I might use more detailed terms, but I design software. I also design clothing, but I don't, uh, that's just a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in that, I was just thinking today, I feel like I like swap careers every couple of years and switch to and from my stuff. So in that, I have, I have specialization in information architecture. So really thinking about uh, how to structure content, how to organize it, how to classify stuff and how to like really arrange detailed detail content. So I have the expertise in that. I also have expertise in complex software and like designing and figuring out how really complex software works for users, not works technically, but how like, you know, really hard stuff hangs together and works. Mm. Um, and I also have expertise in um, leading designers. And so Sometimes I'm like super focused on one of those for like a year or so, and then I'll go do something else. Okay. So also you have those books that you've written. How many are they? Um, they are You also have half. to take a look at it. You're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> what the? Okay. So how many are they? I had to look they? at my bookshelf. I wrote a really skinny book on web writing. That was a long time ago. And then I wrote a book on card sorting, which is a method that we use to help understand how people think about content and how they think about like groupings and categories. And then I wrote a big, a fatter book about information architecture. So again, about like organizing um, 
uh, content. And then I wrote this skinny book that we're talking about called Presenting Design Work. And I say four and a half because I have a book uh, drafted on facilitation, like facilitating design thinking. But we put that on hold for a moment. So I have a, a half of another skinny book. Okay, so more or less four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. Five. The fifth one is coming when? Or you're? I don't know. We have to. Yeah. Last year didn't seem like a year to really worry too much about writing a book about facilitation. Okay. What? By the way, just curious. How much? Like, how much time does it take? How much time did it take you to write the presenting design work? Because it's like it is very slim book. It's fifty pages. It's it's ten thousand words. Um, ten thousand words. About yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, so, and so a ten thousand word book didn't take very long to write. <laughs> yeah, but still, it is very well written. I mean, there as you can see, people won't see that on the camera because we're not yeah. going to publish the video. But I have personally. First of all, I need to put maybe a little bit of context here. We read, we have, and we read almost any presentation book that's yep. on the market. Mm. And still, there are so many things that I can, as you can see here. He's <laughs> got it all <laughs> so highlighted. Yeah. So many things I I colored with yellow or with green, depending on who you're asking. Uh, so here again, set the context, explain the presentation process, all of those things. So, like, how much time did it take you to write those otherwise 50 pages? Like, can you remember? But so the um the hard part about writing a book is figuring out your thoughts. And uh, like, again, we're talking about presenting and presentations and you do presentations. I wrote this as a talk first. So okay. most of the work went into thinking about, I had 45 minutes or so. Most of the work was, how am I going to communicate with this audience the things that I want to um, do? And so I presented it as a talk at a conference in Colombia, and the reaction from the audience was great. Like people gave great feedback and like told me really specific things that they loved about it. And so then when I went to write it down in words, it, the, like I'd done all the thinking. So it, I'd pre-done the thinking in preparing it as a presentation. So like, and I'm a good writer, like I'm a natural writer. So stringing words together yeah, was, guys was the easy a, bit. A book apart. These guys, like they have the, the series of very slim, very short books that based on yours, I'm sure that all of the others are really worth checking out. Yeah, they're really good. They've got a really good set of design focused books. Excuse me if we hear some um, noise, the cats are running around the house. Oh, I have a dog um, <laughs> in the other room, so don't worry about it. Okay, so let's go. Let's go into the book. Obviously, it was a talk. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was a talk. What was obviously the talk itself, and maybe some conversations with some people made you write it, or they invited you to write that book, or whatever. But what what are the top things that you see people do wrong when we talk about presenting? Because You, in order for you to come up with even with yeah. those 50 pages, you have seen so many other things. That's right. Yeah, so I've, as I said, I've, like, been, okay, I've been a practicing designer for a long time yeah. and I've worked with teams, I've led designers and I've been on the other side of presentations as well. So I've seen good and bad work presented, you know, by my teams and to me. So some things that, I mean, there's lots of things that I see go wrong and I don't like to be negative, but there's always a trigger for... Okay, let's call them missed opportunities, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to criticize people's work, and, but that's what, that's when you notice things, when you're like, oh, that wasn't very good. 
And so one of the things that I see, saw, whatever, a fair bit was people don't often think about why they're presenting. And I was listening to some of your previous episodes and your guests say this a lot. Um, Mm. So they don't think about what is it that I'm meant to be doing here. And for mm. design work particularly, so when you're working on like something like a product and you're doing screens and you're, you know, coming up with ideas or making modifications, really the intent should be to get feedback so that the group as a whole can make something amazing. And I think a lot of people don't think that through and think about that as being the reason. I see people come to it with the perspective of, I need to show off my work. Yeah. And when you're thinking, I need to show my work, your headspace is different to, I've done something for my client, my team, um, or whatever my structure is. I've done a thing and now I need good input to make this thing better collectively. Those two things are quite different. So when you go in and you want to present your work, there's a lot of, I don't want to hear feedback. I don't want to get criticized. When you go into it with a mindset of, here's a thing, it might be a bit rough. I'm still thinking it through. There's, there's, some, there's some gaps and holes and I want to make this team work really well together. Your mindset's different. So thinking about your work like that's in the, in the planning stages of why am I doing this helps you think in a different way. And then the other thing that I really focused on in writing the book and that I focus on with, with teams and things is um, how do you get people to give feedback? Because um, a lot of our clients, and again, I was listening to episodes of yours and your guests say this in other fields as well. Our clients are really new at this. They haven't necessarily done this thing before, mm. whether it's that they haven't done a presentation or they haven't been involved in a design feedback process, they don't know what to say. And if you say to people, here's a thing, what do you think? They're going to dive in and tell you what they think with no structure whatsoever. But if you if you are in the mindset of, I, I need to get feedback and the things that I need are, I need to understand whether this works for a particular audience, whether I've missed something whether it's going to be technically possible. If you've thought through what you want to get out of it, then what you can do with that group is you can teach them how to give you feedback. You can say, the thing we're doing today is I'm going to show you this stuff. I'm going to ask you to focus in these areas and I'm going to get you to focus on your expertise and give me feedback and comments related to your expertise. And then you present the work and you say to people again, now, there's the thing. And I can go back to the part of like actually that presenting piece, but you say, there's the thing based on your expertise and experience, will this work? Is it correct? Have we done the right approach? Not ever saying, do you like it? And so (laughs) that's all. I I know it's, I know because if you haven't, if you haven't framed it up that way of getting feedback and making a thing, great. And you, and if you've framed it up as I need to show off this work that I've done and they're going to yell at me no matter what, <laughs> then then you tend to say, do you like it? And people will then tell you that they don't like it, that the blue is wrong, that the buttons need different corners. Yeah. Instead of saying, hmm, that's really interesting. I can see what you've done there. Um, I can see how this will work for this audience doing this task. But I've just, I like, you know, I think that there's a situation where this thing won't work. And then they can people can give you concrete, useful feedback. 
But we have to teach our clients how to do that because they don't know. They've never done this work often. They're, they're, they're inexperienced and they're scared because they're put on the spot. They have to think about their responses. And it's actually a really scary situation to be being the, you know, the client giving feedback on the thing. So uh, if we can teach them how to do it and teach them that they're valuable and teach them that their expertise is absolutely here to be contributed, then we can collectively make products that are great. Yeah, I think that if I need to go back in what you said, there is on page number 10, there was this moment in the book where you described the difference, exactly as you mentioned, describe the difference between designers. And by the way, everything, everyone who's going to be listening to this one, we're talking about design projects yeah. or designers per se, but if you listen carefully to what Donna is saying and what we're obviously going to discuss, I'll go back to the framing of the questions. Mm. I think you will find like a ton of similarities with any business presentation, especially internal presentation inside of a company or when you work yeah. with an external partner, vendor, agency, whatever, like it is just, if you're, so if you're not doing, if you're doing anything that is other than a sales pitch, you're usually presenting something to get feedback. Yeah. I need to, maybe that, that will be a lot of silence <laughs> if I stop here to think really deeply about that. <laughs> but anyhow, anyhow, there is this, and I really like, I really like, like us to kind of repeat that because many people get into getting meetings where designers show them or the design people or the design team is just part of the presentation itself. And you make this very interesting. And I have, we have experienced it in our own agency where you have, you differentiate those designers where one of them, when they're presenting, some of the designers say, Hey, these guys are judging me. Right. Yeah. And some designers say, Hey, we are, as you said, more or less, they are looking for feedback and they approach it in the way every feedback that I receive is going to be about how can we solve this problem better Yeah, and are not something personal. Can yeah. you elaborate? What have you seen? Like, this is so, so, I still see it often, but I don't know for you, but I mostly see it with people who are a little bit more junior. They are just getting into the world of design. Huh? I see it with people more experienced as well. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. And again, not a criticism. Um, sometimes people who are quite experienced uh, can be can be a little more like that because they're used to just being able to present a thing and here's my thing. And I'm really experienced at this, so I must be right. But like no matter how experienced you are, no matter how good your mindset is, um, it is actually still hard to show off a thing and have people re react to it and critique and give you their thoughts. Like I've been doing this for a long time and I was still, when people, I'm like, well, my doubt's a question. That makes no sense. But that was good. I did good work. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's, it, like, it's really hard to get over that initial, what? Am I not perfect? Uh, and, and, and start listening. <laughs> So, I mean, that, I, I just wanted to bring this up because like, I still see it, but it, you, you surprised me when you say that you see it also in senior people, but you're seeing more design designers than I am. So I trust you completely and blindly on that <laughs> one. <laughs> so then you have this, the whole book, I think you can phrase or you can name. And I think if we have to put a team on it, it's super, uh, like it's a lot about preparing. Uh -huh. It there, is about preparing. Yeah, there there is a lot about preparation in this in this book. Like, 
do you see people around you? Do you see the teams that you work with? Do you see the businesses that you more or less interact with preparing for presentations, for talks or for like any public type of speaking type of engagement? Do you see them spending the needed time? I do see people preparing. It is hard actually to do a, a, a design presentation without preparation because you usually have to take something and prepare screens and at least think about what things you're showing. So people do prepare in, in some way. Sometimes people will put together a presentation deck. Sometimes they'll just show through um, like their screens and a prototype. The thing that is important to think about with preparing is not just what will I want to show, but who will be there and why are they there? And what can they contribute? And how, and again, with that feedback, how can I get them to contribute? Let's, let's elaborate on that part though, on the audience, mm-hmm. because you probably, you said that you listened to a few of the episodes before mm-hmm. you probably heard that other people who are in our space, in the presentation space, who give advices and share their wisdom, they talk yeah. a lot about the audience. How do you see the importance of the audience first? Well, if you don't know what your, if you don't know who the audience is, you can't figure out how to interact with them in a way that will mm. get feedback. And look, most most design teams will know who they're presenting to because it's usually some kind of broader team, including a client team. But um, sometimes you don't know exactly who's who. And uh, certainly if you're working with any kind of large organization, uh, I've certainly turned up to presentations and looked around the room and gone, I don't know who these people are or why they're here or why they care. And you need to you need to understand why they're there and why they care. And you also, I mean, in kind of just getting mentally ready, you need to know the kinds of things that people might really care a lot about and the things that they might jump on you with. I remember working with a client a long time ago and every single week we presented, this person would ask the same question. And it was related to his particular KPIs, which meant that we just got ready for that question and we just answered it. But had we not figured out what was going on there, it would have just felt like every single time he asked the same thing. But it meant that we could then address it and also then go, hmm, so-and-so is going to ask this. Do we need to do anything about it? So his concerns leaked into the process as well, of course. But yeah, if you don't know who's in the audience, you can't understand what kinds of things they they care about uh, and you can't prepare for what's going to come back at you. Yeah, the potential questions, as you said, mm-hmm. and many other things. So how do you, like, what do you have like this, if we get the book as an example, like, do you have this systematic approach of how do you understand who is going to be in front of you? Like, how do you approach it? Yep. I look at the meeting invite and I see who's there and I'm going, do I know, do I know everybody? If I don't know everybody, I ask around until I figure it out. It's not hard. Yeah. Like, it's not hard. You say, hey, who's that person? There's a name on here. And if they walk into the meeting, so I'm, I'm talking about a physical meeting, a little harder on life. They walk in and I'm like, oh, I don't know you. I go and I say, hello, I'm Donna. I'm the whatever lead designer on this project. Who are you and what are you hoping to get out of today? Yeah, a lot of, con- <laughs> a lot of context here. One simple question and it's over. <laughs> you also mentioned, you also mentioned uh, because you already talked about how do you kind of frame, if you wish, how do you mm-hmm. frame the discussion? How do you make sure that as in the book, uh, page 19 for everybody. Uh, go to the page 19 now. <laughs> so, yeah, there, is, there, is a, there is something that's called give people a job. But before that, yes. mm-hmm. and, and you already mentioned it, right? Hey, based on your, like, don't tell us, do you like it? 
yeah. right? Uh, what do you think, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you have and you assign to everybody depending on their role and their expertise or whatever, correct me if I'm wrong here, yep. and that's why you need to know who those people are, obviously. Yeah. You yep. assign them, like, give me feedback based on your expertise. Like, what do you think about this part? Don't look at those other few parts right now. That's not your mm. job. And you, by the I think that you also had this, uh, somewhere in the book, there was this discussion and you wrote something that many people, many design projects are being presented in more or less a com- very, like very complete way when the feedback mm-hmm. should be only on something else. Can you elaborate more on that one? What should I say? Um, like there, there was this place where you say, hey, go with the little, the few, just the bare minimum, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Just go um, with the bare minimum. Don't show them a lot of things or if you are going to be show them everything and it's more or less complete, but you still look for feedback on the, let's say the user experience, Yeah. point them, like figure out a way to tell the audience, hey, we are not looking at the design. We are not looking at the icons. We are looking at this one. This okay? thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, so presentations in a design project should be really quite frequent. Like every week to every other week. Um, as I said, a lot of people on the client side, the stakeholder side may not have a lot of experience with these kinds of projects. And uh, every time you present something to them, it's new. So they're going, oh, okay, all right, what are we doing here? What did we do last week? Uh, how, but, but I've got all these other things in my head and then you're showing them stuff and it's new and it's often presented fairly fast and they're like, oh, oh okay, too much. So you can't actually present a large amount of stuff all at once. It's too much for people to take in, think about and be reflective about. So we should be doing presentations frequently. And then when we do it frequently, we can say, okay, we've already dealt with this, 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 and this, but the thing that we're focusing on for this meeting and this presentation and the problem we're solving together today is this self-contained thing that I'm going to show you. And I would say not more than maybe a thing that you can show in five minutes like not a 30-minute presentation of the whole design. That's too much. People get completely lost in it and, again, give really shallow feedback rather than go, okay, that bit, I have something to think about. There's uh, uh. So, yes, small pieces presented frequently will give people the opportunity to understand. The thing that happens when you don't give people the real ability to, to look, think, reflect and give you feedback is that you will think that you're all done and they'll come back at this thing weeks later because they haven't had a chance to really think it through. So if you've given them too much and then you think you're done and you move on, they're still going to keep coming back to it. And you'll be like, huh? I thought we did that weeks ago. So yeah, like small pieces, like people like give people a chance to think and reflect and use their expertise. Yeah, I actually found, I found it on the book. Uh, in um, the book, it's called The Real Estate Tour. Right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. That's a different thing, but I can yeah, explain little, that. Yeah. It's more or less, it's more, yeah, it, you can say, oh, absolutely. It is definitely a different thing, but that screen by screen walkthrough. Yeah. I'm calling here of a page while positioning, uh, while pointing out its features yeah. <laughs> when the main idea is not to do a real estate tour it is something completely different. Right, but yeah, and that, that metaphor might be an odd one. But when you go, uh, when um, a, a real estate person is showing you around the house, the metaphor is there's the front door and there's the spare bedroom and there's the bathroom and here's the kitchen. 
So they show you the things and uh, inexperienced designers and sometimes experienced designers do that. They say, there's the main navigation and here's a carousel and there's a filter and, and there's, there's a footer and there's a thing and there's a thing. And when you're looking, when you, as on the, you know, uh, on the other side, you're looking at this, you're like, what are they showing me? You can't actually get it into your head as a story. So the other thing that I heard lots of your guests say was things about storytelling. And what I suggest people do, uh, fits exactly with their recommendations too, is not say there's a thing and there's a thing and there's a thing, but put it in the context of a person doing a thing. So my book example is for like a little shop. So Gerald has a three-year-old who needs new clothes. He goes to this website where he, he can buy secondhand clothes and he sees this thing and he maybe narrows down to find a shop nearby and uh, he finds a shop that looks like it might have the right things and then he can look at that he looks at the products and he chooses one so in that case you've got a story as we know stories stick in people's heads the stakeholders will go okay right Gerald needed clothes he went to this he saw a thing he wanted it in his local area right 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 that is going to be way easier to understand than there's a carousel with products, there's a map filter, and there's like the product listing page, which is what we would, what people would, would and do yep. do. Yeah. So yeah, putting a story and I've, I had, I have another piece of advice that people often are surprised at. And I said, I say, do it twice. So Gerald needs clothes for his three-year-old, show, th- show them through once, okay. and then go back to the beginning and do it again exactly the same words or exactly the same way and maybe maybe you change something in the middle slightly and say um, he's actually today he's in another suburb and is exploring a new geography but if you if you just do it once again it's gone too quickly and there's too many new things and people are like but if you go okay here's one and then we go back and we tell Gerald's story again, we're walking through, then the second time they can actually pay attention and look at stuff better. They go, ah, yeah, I saw that. Right, cool. Yep, got it. Um, so I always say to do this through twice, which sounds like funny advice, but really helps the audience to stop and understand. Yeah, especially if they're seeing something new. And they're almost always going to be seeing something new. It literally is the point. Yeah, and then back to back to the audience because you have be, be, there is this disruptive people in the audience sometimes, mm-hmm. and I love your remark about disruptive people that most of the times those people are disruptive because they haven't been hurt. That's actually right. Yeah, yeah, that one. What have you seen in the business world that made you kind of? come up with that conclusion (laughs) (laughs) well like i just said about the 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 person um, who would ask the same question every week he wasn't trying to be disruptive and a problem he was trying to have his needs heard and so it would come out every single time like people would interpret him as being a problem but really what you listen listen underneath you're like okay he's not being heard some people are genuinely problematic And some people don't have anything to say, so say something. But mostly problematic people are doing that because they feel like you're not including them and not listening to them. And if you can flip that on its head and genuinely listen to them 
and genuinely think about why is this happening? Why do they say the same thing over and over? Why do they jump off the blocks every, I don't know if that's a metaphor. Anyway, why do they jump at me any, every time I open my mouth? What's going on? You can then think about how you can listen to what they're saying or doing and take that on board and do something about it. Or they're just going to keep, they, they will keep going at yeah. you. Yeah. And, it, and you go back again to this place where you say, but hey, when you like be present in this moment and also be super curious and inter genuinely interested, why is this happening? Like, yep. why, why, why? You also talked about rehearsing in the book and how important it is to rehearse and prepare mm -hmm. for that meeting or for that presentation, no matter how you want to say it. I always push people to not not just to rehearse, but give them this idea that in order for you to be able to be present, to see the room and scan the room in the way that you just, just described, hey, you have to be there, see it, stop, be able to yep. think about that and reflect on it as we go. <laughs> this is not It's easy. really hard. <laughs> this is not easy at all. And I yeah. always, yeah, and I always say to people, how do you think you are going to be able to do that if you don't know your material? Yeah. And the thing about rehearsing is when you've heard yourself say it out loud, your brain knows, your brain knows it already. And your brain's like, oh yeah, I know that thing. I heard me say it. So it can retrieve it more easily and you can then do all of the rest of the things your brain is doing rather than thinking about what you're saying first time around. Yeah, absolutely. It's like an autopilot, you know, like yeah. when you rehearse it a few times, it's like now it's already flawless. Like I don't even think yeah. about it. And then everything else, everything else that happens in the room, I'm open for. You know, I'm constantly yeah. scanning, constantly monitoring, but you need to scan for those elements and scan for those moments and scan the people in the room, especially because I believe that most of the presentations that you're referring to in the book are like those a little bit more private, uh, a little bit more yeah. private meetings, right? Yeah, Not they're the private meetings. type of talks, yeah. right? because there it is a completely different story. Yeah, but, they're not yeah. conference talks and they're not big product pitches. They're yeah. you in a room with your, uh, your particular stakeholders. Yeah. And then there is, and that's why I said that this book is sure it's about design and presenting design. And yet there are so many touch points, like it, there are so many similarities with the business world. Let me give you, that will be the final one from the book. Mm -hmm. Now everything moved to virtual, right? Everyone knows that. Yep. And in the virtual world, surprise, surprise, there is an, an, there is an advice that people give. We also give it to our customers that when you have more than 10 people in the virtual call, it is very hard for you to monitor the reactions of the people. Right? Yeah. That's why you ask somebody from your team or whoever joined the call, right? To keep notes for you, to help you yeah. out, to be a moderator. You actually have the same point, but for those presenta design presentations. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's also related to what we were just talking about with needing to present the work, scan the room, yeah. be listening. You can't be doing that and also taking notes. Like, just can't. If you're, taking, if you're presenting and taking notes, you're not reading the room. So you need a way of making sure that what is happening is being collected. A good way, whether you're physical or remote is to have a moderator. And if you absolutely positively can't, another good way can be to record the meeting so you can go back to it later. Because I learned this early on in being an interviewer, 
I learned by listening to my interviews that I didn't hear most of what was happening, like in, in detail of the, the content, because I was doing everything else. I was running the interview, I was being empathetic, I was thinking about where we were going, and I didn't absorb the content. So if you're needing to absorb the comments and the, the feedback and the questions, you can you can take them in, you know, into short-term memory and answer them but you're not going to remember them later on to do something about them. So yeah, you either need a moderator who can be doing all of that or you need to have it in a form that you can refer to later. And so an online meeting is great because you can record it. Yeah. A face-to-face meeting, we've got enough technology to record a meeting. Yeah, the face-to-face is a little bit harder, obviously for the recording, not impossible, but still, still there are ways for you to capture everything. And if not... By using technology, there are people that are willing to help. Yeah. And and yeah. the coolest part is that the coolest thing I believe with involving somebody to help you out with that is that they're super happy to do it yeah. for most of the times, right? Yeah. And yet that also <laughs> keeps them super engaged. Except if you ask the most junior girl in the meeting, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> yes, because mo- the most junior girl is probably sick of people asking her to take minutes even if she's super experienced at something because okay. that's what people do. Okay. Let's also include the most junior boy here so that we are... No, I mean, I'm really specific. They People, you may not see this, depends on culture. People ask the girls to take the minutes. Hmm. Yeah, at least in... At least where I work. Okay, interesting. We, in our, <laughs> I'm glad in our, that that's a surprise to you. No, in our in our shop here in our agency, everyone. Oh, takes you're notes. not going to do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Depending <laughs> on the depending on the meeting, it's sometimes even it's me. You know. But, of course. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? We're here to we're here to kind of make something happen. Why wouldn't yeah. I say okay? I'm not going to take notes. Who else is like who is going to do that? Anyway, so one of the questions that we started, uh, one of the questions that kind of we started asking all of our guests was, and that caught you by surprise when we were talking before, uh, (laughs) before the, before hitting the record button was, Hey, is there somebody that made an impression on you or you know about, or you saw somewhere or whatever that somehow is connected to presentations, be that he's, he or she is a great presenter, wrote something about the topic or whatever that you think we need to kind of have here as a guest. I was just thinking about, I don't know if you have heard of Jared Spool. No. He's a, um, he's like a design leader. He's not a practicing designer, but he's, he, he, he's, a, he's an, an educator in design. And Jared does amazing presentations and right. he rehearses like to the, to the beat. All right. And it could be really interesting to have somebody like Jared who like writes his presentation and rehearses them and knows exactly where every word is going to land. And somebody like me who will rehearse the basics, like I will rehearse the structure, I will know my points, I will watch my timing, but if I over-rehearse, I get all wooden and I don't like how I'm presenting because I don't have that kind of flexibility and stage presence that is part of how I present. So it might be neat to get somebody like Jared who like rehearses a lot, like amazingly, and somebody who doesn't but still is a great presenter to talk with each other about that. Okay, but so I, his, family, his family name is what? S-P-O-O-L. Spool. All right. Yeah. 
I wrote that down. So Jared Spool. I yeah, and I can introduce you. I will definitely reach out to him for sure. Or you will introduce me, obviously. Yeah, so, and we might have to think about somebody who presents off the cuff, but still rehearses. <laughs> I mean, there is nothing, there is no such thing as how people call it, like, um, not experimentation, but... Um, Improv. Uh, improv yeah like this is all about experience right the fact that you haven't rehearsed one presentation but you have 30 years experience in an industry makes you <laughs> makes you go on stage quite confident sometimes <laughs> not to say that you have to do that yeah. however when you get so much experience in an industry plus you are speaking and you are talking and teaching or training or whatever at some point it becomes very very easy right because it does and I used to think that I didn't need to rehearse because I was really good at speaking in front of groups and Mm. I got better when I rehearsed yeah (laughs) rehearsing rehearsing is always 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 important and when I heard you say that after a few times you become like a little bit more stiff. I don't know if you've heard this advice. There are people in our industry who say it's just because you haven't rehearsed enough. I don't know if you've heard that one. Uh, I have. uh, Yeah, there are people mm. who are going to say you rehearsed a little bit. It it gave you this confidence boost. You are now like really well prepared on and on. But there are people that say if I rehearse so much, then I just feel like I'm like a robot, you know? Yeah. And, And there are some people I... I'm kind of very open-minded in regards to, hey, different people handle things differently, you know, but Mm. there are some people in our industry who say, yeah, but that only means that you can rehearse it more. (laughs) Absolutely. I do understand why they would say that. And I see, it depends what your goal is. Like one of the things, you know, we we all have a, we have a persona and a, you know, our our personal brand and mine is a bit kind of flexible and, and funny. And so all of a sudden, I will like I'm, my jokes are better. At least I think so. When I when they come out of my head quickly, or when I notice that I'm on stage and my I'm moving my arms and I can see people looking at my, my tattoos, and I'm like, and I put and I make a joke about that or point it out so it can go away. Where I wouldn't rehearse that in because I wouldn't be seeing it until all of a sudden I'm watching people watch my art. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where can people find more about you and what is the best place for them to connect? So on the socials, I am usually Madonna with two A's. So M-A-A-D-O-N-N-A. So that's Twitter and places like that. LinkedIn is just Donna Spencer. I'm fairly easy to find. There aren't many of us. And if you said Donna Spencer Australia, you'll find me easily. And my company business tiny little little consulting company website is mad mob with two a's so m-a-a-d-m-o-b you can pop those in show notes but yeah if like mad donna on places is pretty reliable okay so i will link the twitter the link to your website and a link to the book that we were book. talking yeah. presenting, about presenting design work episode Search <laughs> for that one. <laughs> it's, it's it's inexpensive and it's little and um you can read it quick yeah. And by the way, I was surprised how quickly they delivered it to Bulgaria, by the way. That's like, Oh, they would they have print on demand. So it would have been printed somewhere close to you. Um, really? My copies came, came, came from South Australia, which is only like, you know, the next state over. So if you look at your parcel, you probably see where it was posted from. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I assumed that because mine came from South Australia. So mm. uh, it, didn't come, it didn't come from the US. 
Yeah, that is interesting, and that's by the way a clever decision if you think about it. Like, yeah, because shipping, yeah, across the world, is, especially uh, nowadays during the COVID times, it is yeah. tricky. Yeah, harder really? than setting up a relationship with a print-on-demand supplier to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think that everyone who is going to buy that book is like, uh, to be honest, I don't care where they're printed. I'm just a consumer. But it's also, <laughs> I mean, it's an ebook. It's an ebook as well. So you don't have to get a paper copy. You just like highlighting. Yeah. Uh, you can also. <laughs> is there a digital version of it? Yeah, there's a digital. I was. That's why I was surprised you got the print. Um, oh no, I love the. I love. Yeah. It printing stuff it kind of, i buy the books even that i read in some other format just because i love seeing them you know like they're nice i don't know why that is the case but it I, makes, I, yeah, I like not owning too many things physically yeah and packing boxes when i have to move house yeah okay so <laughs> i'll make sure that again going back to the twitter linkedin websites everything we will link everything yeah. absolutely everything in the podcast show notes as you mentioned so everyone hey please check them out in the blog post again donna thanks for joining like that was <laughs> super nice <laughs> thank you very much for having me we can obviously talk about this topic for hours and hours and hours and if anybody has a question or multiple questions please find us on facebook linkedin instagram any platform that you want and just shoot the question i'll make sure that i tag donna so that we can help you out with the question visit 356labs.com and not 365labs donna there are still a lot of people that say hey how are you guys doing at 365labs and i'm like who are you talking I to did that. I did that when I was looking up the podcast. Uh, like, why didn't this come up? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So visit 356 Labs to see what we are doing and how we can help you and the company that you're working for write, design, and deliver truly effective presentations. And of course, our other project, Present to Succeed, our conference. This is the biggest presentation skills event in the world. If you still don't know about it, go check it out and get your tickets uh, right now. Thanks for listening. And in case you found this episode useful, subscribe to the podcast and why not even leave us a review on iTunes as it's most popular or share it with a friend. We would appreciate it. Thanks again and see you in the next one. Bye.